0: this is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. With the closing and consolidation of pharmacy chains and independent retailers, patients are left wondering where to go for guidance and their medications.
1: And what you see is a consolidation of resources. And so you put More prescriptions into a single pharmacy that can't handle the volume to provide the level of care.
0: That story and more coming up this West Virginia morning. Support for West Virginia morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. West Virginia's Public Service Commission today will hear a request from West Virginia American Water Company to raise water rates. Caroline McGregor reports. Despite overwhelming public disapproval during a public hearing last month, West Virginia American Water wants the PSC to approve a rate increase of slightly more than $41 million. That equates to a nearly 22.5% increase in monthly bills for customers. Residential customers using 3,000 gallons a month would see an increase of about $19. The average commercial customer using 16,000 gallons per month would see an increase of more than 100 dollars Charleston Mayor Amy Goodwin and members of the City Council want to see the rate increase scrapped or delayed for Westside residents who went weeks without service after water flooded gas lines and knocked out gas service. The PSC hearing is scheduled for 9.30 Tuesday morning in the PSC headquarters at 201 Brook Street. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor. Senator Joe Manchin spoke with the Postmaster General on the state's Mail Processing Center's future, but the union is setting up picket lines. Randy Yowie has more.
2: Manchin said in a statement that he was told the South Charleston facility will not have one single employee laid off and instead deliver major investments to the facility. Tim Holstein, vice president of the American Postal Workers Union, Local 133, still believes the United States Postal Service plan is to close or downsize the statewide mail processing and distribution center and process West Virginia mail out of Pittsburgh. The facility employs 800 people. About 500 of those are union workers. We've got this uh, message before. You know, it's uh, it's kind of like look at this hand, not what this hand's doing. So we're we're still concerned. We're still in a fight. Holstein said informational pickets are scheduled for this coming Thursday and Saturday. WVPB reached out to the Postal Service for comment. We had received no response at the time of publication. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston.
0: Virginia's first modern apple cidery, Foggy Ridge, helped launch craft cider industry in in Virginia, but while the cider business closed in 2018, the farm stayed open. Cider and orchardist Diane Flint now sells apples to other cider makers and has a new book out. Radio IQ's Roxy Todd visited Flint's farm in southwest Virginia and has this story. On a crisp October morning, Diane Flint leads me through the dew-dripped grass
3: of her apple orchard. She picks a small green and red apple and hands it to me for a taste. Hmm
4: juicy. Mm -hmm. Very juicy.
3: This is called a Smith Cider Apple, an old heirloom variety that was once prized by Southerners.
4: I think they probably chose it for cider making because it's very juicy, very sweet. It's also a good eating apple. I enjoy it. It's very firm. It's a good addition to any kind of pie or apple cobbler. The Smith apple is just
3: one of thousands of heirloom varieties that were once grown widely across the South. Some were family varieties grown on a single farm and passed down for generations. The
4: South has apples from late May all the way through to apples that are harvested in November.
3: But with refrigeration, farmers had less need to have apples that were
4: harvested throughout the seasons. We didn't need an apple for every month.
3: An early form of apples, the precursor to today's apple, originated in Asia around 10 million years ago. Apples traveled west into Europe and eventually made their way to North America, it's thought, in the 1500s by Scandinavian fishermen or perhaps with the Spanish through Florida. And many of the first apple varieties grown by white pioneers in America started right here in Virginia dating back to
4: 1612. Some of these old Southern varieties are quite complex. They taste like ginger or peach skins, or they have spicy notes and deep, earthy earthy notes. And, and we've lost our desire for that complex flavor.
3: Many of these older varieties are now extinct, but there is potential for rediscovering them. Flint said there are some researchers who are hoping that DNA tracing might be able to find them across the ocean. Settlers often traded apples, and the United Kingdom has many preserved varieties. Some could even be descendants of heirloom apples from here in Virginia.
4: So there may still be apples out there.
3: There are also fields with wild apple trees, and she's been able to help some landowners trace the stories of heirloom apples on their property. And there are a handful of orchardists, like Flint, who are trying to preserve them. She walks me over to another tree. She's grafted a variety of cider apple called Red Field onto an older 20-year-old tree. When you cut it open, a bright red flesh is inside. That is Isn't that seen. something? Yeah. These are for cider.
4: Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're just very dry. Mm-hmm. And so this makes a, kind of a natural rosé. Flint
3: closed her cider business a few years ago because she wanted to focus on what she truly loves,
4: being in the orchard. Sometimes you're the victim of your own success. And... Our cidery grew, and we were distributing cider to 25 states, and I found myself not in the orchard, um, not not climbing up a tree and, and pruning. I found myself at my computer talking to distributors and running a business.
3: Diane Flint's new book is called Wild, Tamed, Lost, Revived, The Surprising Story of Apples in the South. It's available now through University of North Carolina Press.
0: In Carroll County, Virginia, I'm Roxy Todd. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.50. Mostly cloudy skies today, a chance of rain or snow, high temperatures in the 30s and 40s. Tonight, a chance of rain or snow with lows in the 30s. There is a winter weather advisory in effect for this afternoon through tomorrow. In the higher elevations, total snow accumulations of 3 to 6 inches possible in the highest elevations and 1 to 3 inches possible in the lower mountain elevations. Support for WVPB is provided by SEGRA, providing fiber-based communication solutions that give businesses the freedom to grow. More information at SEGRA.com. With the closing and consolidation of pharmacy chains and independent retailers, patients are left wondering where to go for guidance and their medications. Emily Rice has more.
5: Nationwide, the pharmaceutical industry is undergoing a lot of changes, in part due to the COVID-19 pandemic placing strain on services provided, like vaccinations. According to a 2021 study by GoodRx, more than 40% of counties in the United States are pharmacy deserts, where most people have to drive more than 15 minutes to reach nearby pharmacies. According to the same study, in West Virginia, pharmacy deserts exist in Wirt, Ritchie, Doddridge, Pocahontas, and Pendleton counties. Pharmacies stepped up by offering vaccinations in West Virginia, helping the state lead the nation in early vaccination rates for COVID-19. Now, pharmacies are finding it hard to employ staff to keep stores open. In addition, reimbursement with pharmacies is a real problem.
1: Many of our um, pharmacies right now, when they fill a prescription, they actually lose money on it. And so when you cannot even break even, it's very difficult to keep a pharmacy open.
5: That was Krista Capehart, a clinical professor at WVU School of Pharmacy and the secretary of the West Virginia Pharmacy Association. Pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, are the middlemen in the pharmaceutical industry. Your insurer may cover major medical expenses, but a PBM is contracted
1: to handle the drug benefit. It's not anymore that when you process a claim, for a prescription, that that's the actual money the pharmacy gets back. Months later, they will, you know, the entity will come back and say, you owe us this much money back. So it's hard for any of these pharmacies to to continue to, to function. And yes, the PBMs play a big role in that. West Virginia has really led uh, the nation, I would say, in PBM reform, but it's still very hard to survive in this market.
5: Matt Walker is the executive director and registered lobbyist for the West Virginia Independent Pharmacy Association, a 501c3 organization made up of West Virginia-owned and operated independent community pharmacies.
2: Over the years, what has happened is these local independent community pharmacies have found it difficult to compete uh, with some of the chain pharmacies, and there's several reasons for that.
5: Walker said some patients prefer a mail-order pharmacy, but the largest problem for independent pharmacies is PBMs controlling the supply chain.
2: What PBMs have have become uh, over the years, instead of only processing pharmacy claims for insurance companies. They've really become profit-driven organizations that make a lot of money on every pharmaceutical transaction. And they're doing that often to the detriment or at the expense of the pharmacy itself.
5: Before prescriptions became integrated with health benefits, consumers would pay for prescriptions in cash out of pocket.
2: And and part of that reason is because of just the really complex Nature of the, the pharmaceutical drug supply chain from manufacturers to wholesalers to PBMs to pharmacies and down into patients finally.
5: PBMs have been a topic of legislation since the 2017 session. That year, the Pharmacy Integrity Act was signed into law creating a registry for PBMs and protecting pharmacies from audits. In 2019, Senate Bill 489 required PBMs to be licensed to do business in West Virginia by the Office of the Insurance Commissioner, bringing regulatory oversight to the industry. Legislation for pharmaceutical reform continued to pass each year until twenty twenty two when House Bill forty one twelve refined the definition of health care payer to make clear which health plans the Pharmacy Audit Integrity Act applies to. According to Capehart, the makeup of pharmacies in West Virginia is about half corporate-owned and half independently owned and operated. Often, no matter who owns the pharmacy, it is at the hub of communities and their loss is felt deeply.
1: When that community center of your community pharmacy closes, um, no matter what that type of center is, it, it really is a health access issue.
5: Capehart said even if a pharmacy closes, that does not mean the people in that community stopped needing their medications.
1: And what you see is a consolidation of resources. And so you put more prescriptions into a single pharmacy, And they just, they can't handle the volume to provide the level of care that was given at other facilities. And every year we see more and more prescriptions written. So it's not like this issue is going to get better. Capehart said payment reform is the first step to improving the pharmaceutical industry. You you have to have payment reform because if a pharmacy is not able to keep their doors open, that's going to be first and foremost.
5: Innovative solutions through new technology could be a way to bridge the gap in care, but that might not be an effective solution for West Virginia.
1: We also know that one of the things about Appalachia and West Virginia is that our patients prefer face-to-face, one-on-one care. And so how do we do that in the best manner, ensuring that uh, we're able to keep the doors open and staff available?
5: However, to have a well-staffed
1: pharmacy also means paying pharmacists appropriately. But they have to be reimbursed and paid at a level that's appropriate. But again, that comes back to reimbursement appropriately. And so there's there's lots of different ideas that uh, we can work toward. And I think that the pharmacy leaders in the state are really examining those, as well as kind of what's happening.
5: For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in
0: Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. (music) West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Caroline McGregor, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yoey. Caroline McGregor is our assistant news director and she produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.